0: Maranu. My name's David King, I'm a Gundungara traditional custodian. My mum was Auntie Mary King. She was born up here on Gadumba clan in a place that we call the Gully, Katoomba, Gargaree. My granddad was Essie Cooper. He was a Barragarang man, a place that we call Waragamba. On behalf of my elders, past and present, Burangalun, past, Marinda, present. I'd like to welcome you on behalf of the traditional custodians. In our language, Yadang Ni. Thank you.
1: Welcome to episode six of the Blue Mountains Tourism Podcast. And do we have a jam packed show full of adventure for you today? Yes, we do. I am your host, Ronnie Swintek, and because the mountains offers many culinary experiences, we love to talk about all the options available to you regularly. And so that means our regular foodie from Plate Up Blue Mountains, Pam Seaborn, will be joining us. Pam brings with her today a very special guest from a Blue Mountains legendary tourist attraction, Maurice Cooper from Bygone Beauties in Lura. Bygone Beauty's treasured museum and tea rooms is home to the world's largest private collection of teapots, and they do an outstanding high tea as well. We also have a real action adventure mystery show with our two other guests. If cycling is your mode of travel, or you just like to do it for fun, we catch up with the man who has taken it to another level with his business, Blue Mountains Biking Adventures, Sam Carr. Sam has the knowledge and experience to make your biking adventure that little bit extra special and more fun. We'll also be talking myths, legends and ghosts that surround some of our heritage buildings and landmarks with Paranormal Pete from Blue Mountains Mystery Tours. We're going to get a little spooky and a little creepy and ask Pete if the truth really is out there. Welcome to the podcast, Pete. Thank you.
0: It's nice to be here.
1: Pete, how did you discover all these stories?
0: Look, basically growing up in Blackheath as a kid, um, we lived in a haunted house and um, we were encouraged to communicate with the ghosts or spirits. It's believed that my grandmother was one of the spirits there and she'd look after us.
1: Now, tell me one mystery tour um, that I'd hear about at a location you'd take me to.
0: Look, we do a magical mystery tour. Mm -hmm. Um, It's basically spectacular sightseeing, uh, waterfalls. We go to sites uh, like Gubbets Sleep. We talk about the uh, legend of the bushranger there who leaped off the cliff, which was something that we were told as kids. And that was another story as kids. If we'd be coming home late at night, mm-hmm. they'd say, if you don't get home before dark, that the uh, Gubbets, the bush ranger on his horse will chase you down the road. And, and you also had that big statue in Blackheath that's still there of uh, Gubbets on his horse, Um, leaping off the cliff there with his little bag of gold that they say he stole from the stagecoach, which is one of the, probably the biggest legends that we were brought up with as kids because that was our hometown in Blackheath there.
1: Give, Give us more insight into that story.
0: Well, the story is that he robbed a stagecoach in the 1870s as a bushranger. He was pursued down Govert Sleep Road, which basically, if you've been there, you know it's a spectacular canyon. Mm. Um, they call it the Grose Valley or the, the Grand Canyon of, of, of Australia. Yes. And it's surrounded by 300, 400-metre cliffs and massive 300-metre waterfall. And he was surrounded, and the Redcoats so or military said, surrender, and they say he, um, he didn't want to do that. So he gave his horse a bit of a kick and a bit of a boot, and they say he leaped over the cliff, or into the gorge there with his bag of gold and his horse, and that is, um, his horse haunts the town up and down Govett Street Road and in the local area.
1: Wow, that is a great story. Now, in regards to your mystery tours, it's not just about ghosts and supernatural entities for you, though, is it? I mean, tell me about your belief in aliens and yaois, and do you think they're real? I do. Look, I've seen several
0: ex- Yeah, um, unexplained lights in the Three Sisters area, Echo Point. Mm -hmm. Also up in Hartley Valley, um, up in Mount Victoria, out at McMahon's Point. And I do like a tour which used to be Myths, Legends and Skywatch, and we go looking for UFOs, uh, black panthers, and um, you know the Bigfoot Yowie in in the Australian Yowie. And I saw these lights at um, the Three Sisters one, not with a group. Yes, it was like the size of a minibus. It was like a pearl. It had no windows. Yeah, it had no noise. And it hovered about three to 400 metres above our head. Wow. And just went into the clouds and um, we were so shocked that we just couldn't believe what it was. Yeah. And I've seen several of those in the mountains um, and they're just a pearl, beautiful looking shape and um, they hover and there's zero noise.
1: That's amazing.
0: What creeps you out? What scares you? Um, normally, when I'm packing up at the end of the night, when everyone's gone home, if I've set up some gadgets and experiments around some of the buildings for the mystery or a ghost tour, and um, everyone's gone home and it's quiet and it's dark, and you know we've been talking about if there's someone here tonight, and then I'll hear a footstep or a creak or oh maybe god. see a shadow, and that that'll give me a bit of a creep.
1: I bet. <laughs> oh my god, I'd be running screaming. <laughs> Do you have a lot of screamers on your tour?
0: We do, yeah. We, you, you've got the fainters, and um, or they'll fight, or they'll flight, or they'll faint, and um, so we got the three Fs, and you don't know what they're going to do until they do it. Um, sometimes you see people just throwing punches into thin air if they've had a fright, or sometimes they'll 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 have a little bit of a faint. Really? Um, or they'll just take off.
1: Wow, that's incredible. And how do you deal with that?
0: Oh, look, I normally encourage them. Look, it's, you know, the, the spirits or the the area that we're at is, you know, we've told them we're here with peace and love and we mean no harm. We're here to help and we just want to hear their story and then we're going to go home. We're not staying the night and that, you know, you won't pick up anything on the tour. And, you know, I do cleansing and clearing and I've done metaphysical studies with, like, um, hands-on healing and meditation and stuff like that. And um, how to cleanse yourself and, and cleanse your area and the of we've been so that we don't pick up any negative energy or attachments or anything like that that could be a little bit creeped out. Would people believe that when they come?
1: Okay. Well, that's actually comforting to know. Yowies, tell me what they look like. Well, they say
0: it looks like a gorilla shape in an orangutan's body. So, their hair's all sort of matted, but they're uh-huh. this muscular, like a huge gorilla. Uh, no neck, arms hang down to their knees. Um, I've had different reports of this. Some say they're orange, brown, black, um, tan coloured hair on them. They talk about they've got red eyes, like infrared eyes, so they can see into the dark. Right. They say that they can cloak themselves, so they can make themselves invisible if you've come close by them. Some say they can shapeshift, so if they saw you coming, they could shift into a tree or a stump or into a, a body of water, and you wouldn't know that they were there. Um, the strange thing with the Yowie is that they say that you can have missing time. So you've been out there, you've been walking around the bush, you haven't looked for a Yowie or Bigfoot, and... Um, You may have had an experience because apparently what they can do is if they feel that you're threatening or that you're there for the wrong reason, Mm -hmm. you're there for like a media, get a photograph, get on TV, Okay, they know that and that they can wipe your mind. So you don't know you've seen it, but you have and they've wiped it. And apparently this is the same with alien abductions that they can give you missing time, wipe your mind for that. 15 minutes or so that you go on and you don't really know you've had an experience.
1: Where was the first sighting of Yowie? How
0: did the legend begin? Look, in the States there's lots and lots of stories over there all over Asia. They've all got different names, each sort of area or region's got their own version and name for these Yowie's, Bigfoot, Abominable Snowman, yep. um, Susquash, um, Yeti, and they're all they're all different sort of versions or names, but some are in cold areas, some are in warm areas. Oh. So I don't know the actual time when these sightings happened, but in Australia, they talk about when the first fleet would come out, mm-hmm. that people would call them the Big Hairy Man, and okay. this referred to uh, our Yowie. Aboriginal people, um, I believe there are sightings back six, seven thousand years ago and cave drawings around. So, for for me, uh, like European, I believe a couple hundred years before that, the uh, First Nation people, we're talking tens of thousands of years maybe that they've communicated with them. They believe that they're an environmental warrior and that they look after the creeks, the waterways, and if they flow, everything else lives.
1: Can I go to these sites myself and check them out? And why do people need to go on a tour with you?
0: Look, some of the sites... Um, after hours are out of bounds. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them, we have keys and access and alarm codes, so you can't visit them. You need to be going on the tour. But some sites like the cemetery, you can go there through the day. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can go out to McMahon's Point, the National Park, Three Sisters through the day. So some of those sites are accessible daytime. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them aren't at night because they're they're daylight hours only. And, um, yeah, so you can access some. The the ones on the tours, like we'll do um, Hartley Village National Park, we'll do... Lifko State Mine, um, Mount Victoria Museum, Woodford Academy. We've got a place out at Bath, as we do, like in Hill End. And, and you basically need to come on the tour for those. Um, however, course. some of them are open through the day for just a normal um, entry fee, and, and you can walk around and view their holograms like a history tour as well.
1: Yeah. But you, the, for a paranormal experience, you go on the tour and you sort of immerse yourself into it entirely.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, um, and we use, uh, they're interactive with the use of gadgets and stuff that we take around to you know, enhance our chance of having an experience or you know picking up some sort of scientific evidence.
1: So I'm going to ask you this question. If I was a person who didn't like ghosts for religious reasons, I don't want to meet them or I've got my kids in tow. Is there anything for me on your tours?
0: Yeah, look, we do the Magical Mystery Tour. It only includes a couple of the local legends like um, Indian Head Rock. Um, you've got the Megalong Mystery. You've got um, Gubbett Go Sleep. And we might also talk about the Carrington Hotel and the tunnels and stuff like that. So they're very um, family-orientated tours. Mm-hmm. So the Magical Mystery Tour, or the mystery tour we call it, it includes a lot more sightseeing. But as we drive around, we talk about the legends and the local stuff that's quite um, quite a side of the story, not a dark side. How long have you been doing this for Pete? Um, I started off in around 2000 and in 2002, we got registered with a bus and the national parks and all the sites we go to. So we're properly licensed with council, national parks, um, ministry of transport, so that we can get to conduct tours um, as an accredited operator. Yeah. So 2002 and still going today. And... Um,
1: still loving it. That's wonderful. That is absolutely wonderful. Pete Clifford, aka Paranormal Pete, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely fascinating. And Blue Mountains Mystery Tours is the way to go if you want to have, be creeped out a little bit. Thank you for your time.
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure to coming up.
1: Our regular foodie from Played Up Blue Mountains, Pam Seaborn, is here with us today. Hi, Pam. Hi, Ronnie. Lovely to see you again. Great to see you. Now, Pam brings with her today a very special guest from a Blue Mountains legendary tourist attraction, Morris Cooper from Bygone Beauties in Lura. Bygone Beauties, Treasured Museum and Tea Rooms is home to the world's largest private collection of teapots and they do an outstanding high tea as well. Welcome to the podcast, Morris.
2: Thank you for the invitation.
1: (laughs) You're very welcome. Now, (laughs) 5,500 teapots, is that the tip of the iceberg?
2: Well, there's a couple of corrections there. Okay. Um, It's tea wares, not teapots. Okay, tea wares. Thank you. Look, We advertise five and a half thousand, uh, but it's far in excess of that. In fact, we've uh, exceeded over 10,000 now.
3: Maurice, before, I mean, it's an extraordinary interest that you have in teaware. How did you arrive at that? Give us your brief background. I've been a collector
2: of many, many things. Uh, Really, my uh, collecting began, my parents were very much community involved, went to lots of fates. And, um, you know, fundraising activities. And, of course, uh, silver caught my eye at nine years of age. (laughs) But in more particular to teapots, um, Ron Hooper started the teapot collection back in 1974. So we're 50 years next year. Gosh, Um, congratulations. I, I more or less joined forces about four months after that. Because um, Ron was an antique dealer, and at the time my preference was for clocks, okay. <laughs> and um, with Ron's collection and of course my collection, uh, we opened Bygone Beauties thirty years ago, and we've just been adding to the collection uh, all along.
3: Now, high tea, traditional high tea at Bygone Beauties is quite unique. Talk us through okay. it. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm uh, arriving and I'm sitting down. What can I expect?
2: We, we like to present it with a little bit of pomp and circumstance. So the waiter will appear with a silver entree dish and uh, present hot food, obviously in this covered dish, like a little mini sausage roll, a, a mini quiche and uh, a vegetarian uh, savoury wheel, And um, after they have uh, taken that, then begins the real pomp and circumstances. Mm-hmm. We serve uh, crustless rolled bread uh, with um, a selection of shaved ham and a hint of English mustard cucumber and watercress, so you're going right into the English style. We do a little raspberry shortcake, a a, a raspberry cheesecake uh, on almond meal. Everything is made on the premise except the lemon curd. That comes from our kitchen at home. It's bought in. It's bought in. (laughs) So we always make a point of that. (laughs) It's bought in. uh, Yeah, it's bought in, but that's the only part that is. And then, of course, there's mini scones, traditionally strawberry. So it's a
3: very uh, substantial. And and fresh
2: whipped cream. None of this aerated stuff.
3: Lovely. Now, obviously, there are other venues um, not Quite the pomp and ceremony, <laughs> but I know the Hydro, hydro do uh, high tea and uh, so do Lillian Fells and the Carrington. So it's really quite a feature up here, isn't it? Oh, yes, yeah. yes, it is. Yeah. And
2: um, uh, each of us present a, a different and it, yes, um, aspect. Yes, yeah. And um, uh, I think our hallmark there, though Pam, is we're very much as though it has been made in your own home. Yes. Okay. And Bygone um,
3: Beauties has that feel about it, doesn't it? Oh, definitely, it? Yes. definitely. Yeah.
2: But of course, there's a couple of other places. You yeah, know, the, of course. Um, um, uh, tourism has extended uh, into the Megalong Valley of very course. much, very uh, much so. And um, we've yeah. got the Megalong Tea Rooms. Yeah.
3: Now, um, Yulefest... Fest. Oh, yes. Yule yeah. Fest is coming up soon. Yes, of
2: course. And
3: um, it's one of the Blue Mountains' major events. What happens at Bygone Beauties?
2: Well, we're a little bit um, different again to everyone else, obviously because we don't open at night. We choose to make it a luncheon. And this in, in, in itself opens a market for people who um, we love them to stay overnight, preferably in our accommodation. Mm, of course. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but for some people because of age or infirmity or, or just young children or, or combined, we do it at lunchtime and it's, uh, we only do it for a fortnight of the year. In just 14 days mm. and we get pretty well. And you do it every booked. day? Yes, we do it on each day of yeah. that fortnight. And I'm, is it
3: traditional Christmas fair? Oh, or?
2: absolutely. Yeah. And uh, again, with the hallmark of it being pretty well, you know, like homemade mm. and um, right down to the um, uh, the Christmas pudding, of Course, that's made by my partner, is mm. who you'd know, Pam. Is yes. a superb cook, wonderful cook. Yeah. And um, so, we're, we're a little bit different again. Um, many of the venues have Santa Claus come, and of course, we do as well, uh, with the ringing of the bell, antique bell, of course. <laughs> and
3: um, who's Santa Claus? <laughs> well, I have, mul- I
2: have multiple roles, <laughs> as you would know, and I love to dress. Up. Yeah, I, I simply do. <laughs> but, but Santa Claus can be my um, uh, broad image or it can be quite a tall, slender one. Yeah. Anyway, it varies a little bit. Perhaps during uh, the winter months it's a little bit different. Anyway, we do ask people if they want to bring a gift along and Santa distributes the gift. And, of course, if they don't um, choose, of course, no one is left out, mm. um, but there's quite quite a bit of um, play on words, Uh, you know, when there's a a little mini teapot or a Mm. a, a little... Uh, teddy bear or of what course. have you, but everybody does get a gift.
3: And so, when is this, Morris? When when do you we, start We a... do
2: it the last fortnight of July after okay. the July school holidays. Yeah, okay. uh, we have experimented doing it during the um, the school holidays, but I can assure you, <laughs> bygons is such a popular venue, um, as, as hopefully every business is during school holidays, and it really was a little bit like faulty towers. It was. <laughs> <laughs> and, and although people absorbed that, at the end of the day, my coronary arteries <laughs> weren't, weren't in a good state. In a it good state. exhausting. Yes, yes, there we go.
3: Well, thank you very much, Morris. Um, it's been lovely having you here with us today and telling us all about Bygone Beauties and your collection, your teaware collection.
2: Thank you again for inviting me.
1: And thank you, Pam, once again. It's a pleasure. A crushing accident that ended a dream turned into a sliding door moment for Sam Carr, one which led him to fully commit to the region, and natural world he has long loved. Today, his Blue Mountains Biking Adventures is geared to introduce you to the Blue Mountains on two wheels. Hi, Sam, and welcome to the podcast.
4: Ahoy, thank you for having me.
1: (laughs) You're welcome. So, Sam, it's 2016. You're restarting your BMX racing career right after a 30-year hiatus. Hmm. Everything's going well. Going great. You're getting back to your peak. Sure was. And aim to finish in the top eight in Australia for your age group.
4: That was the plan. What happened? Oh, my gosh. That was a terrible day, that one. Uh, Preparing for my first big uh, comeback carnival. i have done lots of little satellite ones before that and had the opportunity to race equivalent Finalists from the year before, and practice on the Friday before the big event, yes, it didn't end well on the big jumping straight. Oh, talk us through it. well, well, I probably knew I shouldn't have stayed any longer than about half an hour than the event happened because I was pedaling what we say in squares. Uh-huh. <laughs> wasn't feeling good uh, when I hit one of the big jumps, it speared me off the bike and three metres down at 30 kilometres an hour, oh headfirst into the ground. <sighs> uh, so I knocked myself out, dislocated my shoulder, and it turns out I tore tendons from the bones and all sorts of things. Oh, my God. So um, I kind of didn't know all that damage, but I did come to. I did pop my shoulder back in, <gasps> and then I did continue Up to the central coast from Sydney (laughs) to make a Bucks party's night out. (laughs) You're kidding me. (laughs) Mountain bikers, we are hard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When did you realise the injury was really bad? And tell us what the injury was.
4: Yeah, so it actually took about a month and a half to diagnose and three different professionals to diagnose it. I don't know why, but that's just what happened. And then, yes, the supraspinatus cuff was torn off the bone and had gone back and muscles were dissected and ligaments were ruptured and all sorts of things. So um, it was a, you talk about the sliding door moment. So it was 18 months off, no work. And I just had my little boy in the course of that fresh injury as well. So very limited to what I could do.
1: Oh, dear. So that's awful. I'm so sorry to hear that. Ah. So you couldn't ride competitively anymore, obviously.
4: Oh, so. no, I could. I've yeah. just now chosen not to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you are a hardcore dude. You are so hardcore. So what did you do? What could you do? What, what happened then?
4: Well, I, I could honestly do nothing. For the first six months, the right arm couldn't even lift a cup of coffee. That was the instructions from <laughs> oh. the surgeon. Um, so there was a lot of sitting around. Well, as much as I could do. Um, I can't drive. So I was bound to the house unless someone was looking after me. Mm. And uh, a little bit of feeling, feeling sorry for yourself, but Obviously. not too, it was okay. I have a family around me, so it was good. There was not much to do except sit and think. <laughs>
1: yeah. And you thought of?
4: Yeah. Look, it's funny. I say this to people, you know, when you go to travel and you want to go and live overseas, don't go and do it for a month or two. You want to do it for at least six months mm-hmm. from my personal experience. And then once you get to that six-month period, I found the the blinkers in your life come off, off your eyes. Right. And wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're then free to think uh, without the burdens of responsibilities. Um, and to some extent, the situation I'd found myself in 2016 was like that. So after 2016, my little radar was just open for things to do. Yeah. Um, Trawling through the trading post or what was it? Gumtree as it yes. was. And I saw a little business up in the mountains here for sale, which was Blue Mountain Bikes Australia. Yeah. Long story short, I thought I can do this <laughs> and started from scratch.
1: And where where is the business located?
4: So business is located in the Blue Mountains, but I'm a mobile service, so I okay. don't run on a shop front. So anyone can hire a bike and you know, get themselves to where they think they're going to go and go for a ride, but they're very alienated when they don't know either the location or they don't know much about biking in general. Yeah. So I just felt there was a need there to set up a mountain biking service up here in the mountains because there was none operating, which I just thought was an injustice to the place. Oh. But also too, I didn't want to set up a business that was geared at a mountain biker.
1: Yes, um, okay. I
4: really wanted to aim at educating the average person that they can mountain bike, and then to make it easier for them was to go and choose the different trails uh, for them to be able to look at and read, and then to offer the logistics where I'll meet them near the start of the trail. Okay. And the other components were good quality bikes, yep. um, and then education, uh, education being in the form of... This is basically how you ride a bike properly. Okay. (laughs) This is how you put on a helmet properly. Do most
1: people not know
4: this? 99% of my riders, they think, yes, they can ride a bike, Mm -hmm. but what I show them, and their very basic fundamentals, yeah, no idea. Okay. And it's not that, no, who was going to teach them that? You know, I didn't get taught that. Okay. And then um, what was hard for me was to come up with a little program, um, given, you know, how it's all so natural to me after all those years that... How do I do this? So it took a long time to really break it down into simple steps that the average person would understand and then to work out which steps or which core pieces of information they needed to hear to get them off and running straight up.
1: So this <laughs> this happens when I book a tour with you.
4: Oh, not just a tour. So the two components of the business are the guided tours yep. uh, on the e-bikes and then there's the self-guided. where. You'll still get all that information from me. Uh, I'll still meet you at the location, mm-hmm. and then they'll set off on their little um, uh, adventure. Mm-hmm. But it even goes to the night before. They get a big email from me with links to my YouTube channel, which has got the online safety and skill briefing in video format. Okay. So they watch that the night before, and then on the day, I give them a refresher. Okay. So um, they really are armed and ready to go for the uh, the big, wide, dirt, easy fire trails that we have up here.
1: Tell us some of the locations you like to go to.
4: Uh, the number one, 100%, my favourite, is the Hanging Rock, up at oh, Blackheath. Beautiful. It's the trail that I say I call the Hanging Rock Trail is actually the Burramoko Fire Trail, uh-huh. and that gets you out to this unique and amazing, so raw piece of nature, and you can only get there by walking, you know, 12 to 15 kilometre return, or by riding. So. Obviously, and, riding sounds a lot more fun.
1: And a, yes, a lot more fun and a, probably a little bit quicker.
4: Especially on the e-bike. Yes. <laughs>
1: so uh, what are, what's your other top – give me your top three.
4: Yeah, okay. So that that's the one that 90% of people who can ride a bike can do, that one there. Um, an even easier one than that would be the plateau before – the Hanging Rock Plateau, which would be the Anvil Rock. So mm-hmm. it's a half road and um, then half gravel. Mm-hmm. That one can be accessed by cars, so it goes to show that it's not too hard. But again, very you're very rewarded um, with your ride to the end to those lookouts. Mm-hmm. We've got the – probably my most popular e-bike tour outside of the Hanging Rock would be the one closest to Sydney in Glenbrook. Oh, okay. So I know, right, 45 minutes from Sydney, you can be parked up in Glenbrook. Yep. And then we dive down into the – uh, Glenbrook Precinct of the Blue Mountains National Park uh, to Euroka Campground. And from there, I've got this multiple sort of different routes we can take on this incredible tour, uh, depending on rider skill levels, mm-hmm. um, what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, okay. but also very, very relaxed as cars can access it. But you know midweek, which is when a lot of these tours happen, mm-hmm. it's very empty. So we pretty much get this massive park to ourselves and it's very casual. And it really gives me a great chance to help coach as well as show them around and talk about the flora and the fauna.
1: Sounds amazing. Now, what do you hope people get out of the tour? We know what you get out of the tour. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Look, I ask people every time they come riding with me, they're just smiling from ear to ear, especially the sort of the older people. And my age range that I normally have is anywhere from 15 to 75 and very heavy in the 40 to 60 bracket when it comes to my tours. Mm-hmm that being families or grandparents and things like that. So I see them smiling a lot and I say, oh, I already know the answer. And I say, what are you smiling about? And they say, oh, I, I don't know. I just, I just really, really enjoy this. And I go, okay, why? And then if they think deep enough, the answer always comes out. It reminds me of when I was a kid. And how when I learnt to ride a bike and how we rode a bike in the neighbourhood and how much freedom it gave us and um, all of our friends, you know, we didn't have cars, obviously, that was what we did. And we told our parents we'd be one place, we'd be in another, we'd be building jumps or we'd be just riding around. And Mm. I think to me, that's why I do it, is the memories I had as a kid.
1: That is fantastic. And as you said before, various levels of fitness can go on any of these adventures with you.
4: Yeah. You know, I've had... Every year, I have a, a, a bunch of kids come up from Bellingen, Year 5, so 10 and 11, and they'll take out by themselves on normal bikes. They will go and do the Hanging Rock Trail. Wow. Um, hardcore little critters. They are <laughs> so good, those guys. I've even offered to shorten it for them, but it's it's like a pilgrimage for their Year 5 class. So Wow. Okay. So good. So, yeah, look, there are Look, nothing is dead flat up here, that's for sure. Mm. We're it the, the Blue Mountains, Blue Mountains. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, We don't have any infrastructure or any chance to build a rail trail that's dead flat. Um, And and hence, enter the e-bikes. You know, this is where it's all at these days. Mm. You know, I've tripled my e-bike fleet, you know, now. So, and I think most people are out on e-bikes most of the time. At least half now, it's the pendulum is swinging. So, your fitness really is not a consideration now. So, um, you still need to be, you know, in good fitness just as a person. Yes. Um, but yeah, definitely. the the average person with the use of an e bike could ride pretty much eight out of ten of my trails.
1: Sam Carr, Blue Mountains Biking Adventures. How do we find you?
4: Pretty easy. I'm sure if you type in mountain biking Blue Mountains, you'll find me on Google. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, but all looking up my my um, my name, Blue Mountains Biking Adventures, and then yeah, you can get my phone number from there as well, uh, email. But it's all booking online, so it's all very very simple. It's been online bookings since I opened. So yeah, all the different options are there, whether it's the self-guided or the, the guided e-bike tours, they're all there. But if you ever need help, I'm just a phone call away.
1: That's awesome, Sam Carr. We'll also have all your information in the podcast show notes as well. Nice. Sam Carr from Blue Mountains Biking Adventures, thank you so much for your time today.
4: Thank you for giving me my first ever podcast. <laughs> You're
1: very welcome.
4: It's always you, Ronnie.
1: Thank you. I wish you first. Thanks. <laughs> you have been listening to Visit the Blue Mountains, a podcast produced by Blue Mountains Tourism. This episode was produced by Ellen Hill. Episode editor was David Post. Recorded at KFM Media Studios. Music was composed by Rusty Pedal Music. The Welcome to Country was delivered by David King. And I'm Ronnie Swintek, and thanks for joining us. This podcast is made possible by $2.6 million from the Bushfire Local Economic Recovery Fund, co-funded by the Australian Government and New South Wales Government. With the Grant Blue Mountains Tourism as the leading tourism authority in the region, will administer and manage the Blue Mountains Visitor Economy Revitalisation Project a two-year destination management program that will reinstate the Blue Mountains as a key tourist destination in New South Wales and Australia.